now you put that same person and all of a sudden they're not working in downtown San Francisco, they're working from their kitchen table. And they've got two kids in e-learning. They've got their spouse who's also on a Teams meeting. They've got a couple of dogs and they've got the UPS guy, you know, ringing the doorbell. And all hell is breaking loose. How, how are you gonna go through and convince someone to listen to you into your old tired salesy sales pitch about how things are going on? You're not. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Derek Wazinski, and Derek's the Director of Sales at Parallels. And Derek wrote a very thoughtful and moving article about what he calls sales lessons from year zero. Year zero being 2020, when everything changed. So, I invited Derek to join me in the show to talk about his article and talk about year zero and this year, 2021, what we call year one. Derek wrote, and I quote, I've never managed people in the middle of four once-in-a-lifetime situations, a global pandemic, historical racial and political unrest, and an economic recession where markets were up, but so are unemployment and economic misery. And the fact is no one has had to manage through four of those once-in-a-lifetime situations. I mean, 2020 was an unprecedented year that left its marks on all of us. In our conversation, Derek and I talk about the challenges that year zero presented for sales leaders, for sellers, and for buyers, and we talk about where we go from here. Because as much as sellers, you know, we try to shut out the outside world and keep separate our professional and personal lives, well, they've been joined together in a very uh, unforgettable way, and it's never been more difficult to navigate that divide. So we dig into what is and what will be the impact of the pandemic on sales cultures going forward, and what will be the legacy of the pandemic on how we manage, mentor, coach, and develop sellers. You'll enjoy this conversation. Before we get to Derek, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Derek, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be back. Or should I call you Fred Mertz? <laughs> now, well, yeah, you I'm, could call <laughs> How many people under the age of 40 listening to this or 50 listening to this show can identify who Fred Mertz was? <laughs> There's no prize for the correct answer, but yeah, you know, just the yeah, giving the correct answer, you'll have the accolades of uh, of all the uh, of all the executives that you work for. Yeah, or a sign that you've watched <laughs> just entirely too much TV in your lifetime. But for right. people who don't know, Fred Mertz was married to Ethel Mertz. And mm-hmm. in the original I Love whoa, Lucy. Whoa, 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 uh, yeah, Lucy. Was, oh, sorry. Yes, yeah, I was going to ask a question. <laughs> who are their neighbors? <laughs> You're jumping on my lines here, Derek. Sorry about that. <laughs> Lucy and Ricky Ricardo were their, their neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Little. Yes, and this, with that, and and well, and little Ricky joined him after a couple of years just to go ahead and spice up the scripts. Yeah, but in those days, you know, that was like uh, <laughs> those were like miracle births since the the parents didn't yes, sleep with the child. Yes, yes, it was it was twin beds, and they couldn't. They actually standards and practices wouldn't allow them to use the word pregnant in the middle of an episode. 
So every time you see Lucy pregnant, she is either with child or expecting or some other type <laughs> of uh, some other phrase they were using. Yeah. And then things have changed. Yes. 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 If you've uh, if you've uh, downloaded TikTok and t- or look looked at your kid's Twitch profile, then uh, you know things have definitely changed. <laughs> if you can bring yourself to look at your kid's Twitch profile, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, yeah, we're going to talk about sort of what's what's taken place over the last year, what the impact has been on right. sales, what what's going to happen going forward. Um, you called. 2020 year zero. So, so what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, again, this is again, showing my, either my, uh, my age or my love of, uh, Turner classic movies. There's an old movie from the sixties with Ray Milland called panic in the year zero. And it's about this family that's out on a fishing trip. And all of a sudden uh, nuclear war happens and they hear about it from on the radio, the car radio, the portable radio, something. And the announcer says, well, the United Nations or what's left of them have determined that now after this nuclear war, we are in the year zero, which kind of meant all bets were off that, you know, national governments and um, society in general and social mores uh, were kind of all up in the air. And it was kind of your responsibility just to see if you could get by. And in the course of the movie, it's, you know, it's the apocalyptic kind of movie. And, mm. you know, there's the bad guys and everything else. But uh, you know, as I was going through, living through, uh, managing people, trying to carry a number, um, a team number, and trying to help an organization uh, through the first year of COVID, it really felt as we progressed through it, it felt really like a year zero, like hmm. like all the kind of things we had learned, all the practices, all the all the switches we used to flick or the dials we used to turn to, you know, up uh, activities to increase revenue. Those, you know, the it was like an old Star Trek episode. The, the switches didn't connect to anything; they were just lights on a uh, on a on a board. They weren't actually moving anything. And uh, so we had to figure out uh, myself and my team and our executives and that we had to kind of figure out a way to find our path and find our way in this new year. And it wasn't just dealing with customers or dealing with process. It was dealing with people. It was dealing with internal people, your own people, people within your organization, um, you know, yeah, having well, to I think deal with the stress. Right. No, well, I think the people, that, to me, that you start and stop there, right? It's about the people. So you wrote something, yeah, it's said this piece, Sales Lessons from Year Zero, and I, I thought it was very well done. And I just wanted to read some excerpts and, and talk about sure. it as it goes. Is One, you said, uh, I've never managed people in the middle of four once-in-a-lifetime situations, a global pandemic, historical and racial political unrest, an economic recession where markets are up, but also are, but yeah, the markets are up, but so are unemployment and economic misery. So mm-hmm. speak about you know, these other factors other than pandemic, which we'll speak about a little right. bit later, how, how those have affected your team and your buyers and, and you. Oh, well, let's just talk about the summer, right? We can talk about the summer. We had, you know, COVID started, uh, it feels like six years ago, but, mm-hmm. you know, last year around this time, and we shut down our office in uh, February, and because uh, we were here in Seattle, we were one of the first ones hit with uh, with the uh, infections and that type of thing. Oh, yeah, and, right in the nursing homes, we, yes. But, yeah, but right in the nursing homes and that. So, you know, we did that and as we progressed, and but, you know, and then it, and then it went through the rest of the country, but over the summer, um, 
you know, with what happened with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and those types of things, we were all locked at home watching that on television. And there was really, you know, and, and I really do think this summer, what happened over the summer really was, uh, was, was escalated and was noticed by a whole swath of people that would have been probably doing other things or paying only attention tangentially in order to go ahead and see what was going on, maybe watching it on the nightly news. But since we were all at home, mm-hmm. since we were all already, we had MSNBC and CNN and Fox and everything else on in the background anyways, during our normal business days, um, all of this stuff played out in front of our faces. And we saw what was going on. Many of us for the first time, or may, maybe many of us um, finally felt like we were, you know, we were being, you know, recognized or it was recognized what we were going through. So on my team, on the people that I work with, I, you know, I have, uh, I have a very diverse team and um, it affected people personally and it affected people professionally. Uh, I had a, 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 a employee, a person who I've worked with for the past couple of years, uh, tell me, you know, he, he, he didn't want to go ahead and raise his kids in this country anymore. Happens to be, you know, a black man, uh, black man, an African-American male with two, with two sons, mm-hmm. um, uh, just, just rock to his core. And, and what am I supposed to say to that? Am I supposed to say, well, make sure you, you know, your, you know, your, your, Hit your, your numbers, your forecast is updated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how do I go ahead and manage it? I had, I have an Asian American, uh, 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 em, uh, employee that came to me and said, you know, Derek, I'm having problems at the beginning of COVID because I can't go outside without getting yelled at, at the, on the, on the street, that this is my fault. So all of this, so this stuff was going on. And I, you know, I looked in my handy sales manager, sales director, VP of sales handbook, and it didn't tell me how to handle any of this. It didn't, you know, it didn't tell me how to go ahead and manage people through this kind of emotional minefield that they were going through. So I had to, I had to feel, and, and, and the people I work with had to feel our way through it. We had to listen a lot. And I wrote in that same post, I'd probably heard more and shed more tears in one-on-ones than I'd ever have before in a couple decades um, worth of business experience. But well, the sheer it, fact was it would, oh, go on. Well, I was going to say, I, sorry to interrupt, but it, it yeah, raises this issue, which is, yeah, I mean, how how do you as someone in a business relationship with people that are are facing, you know, this overt discrimination and so on, how do you, how do you help? You Well, first you listen. And that's hard for a lot of salespeople and a lot of sales leaders because we're used to talking for a living. We're used to, you know, solution sales tells us and all that other stuff how to solve problems. I can't solve that problem. I can't, I can't finagle a way in which I'm going to give you a value proposition where you're going to figure it out and we're going to go ahead and close the quote unquote deal. It's a systemic issue. These are systemic issues and problems that exist in our society and they've just been exacerbated by what we're living through and what we're going through right now. So when that bubbles up to the surface or that comes up to the surface, my first job as a human, let alone a leader, is to listen, is to, is to, you know, go ahead and give, you know, some, you know, you know, possess a little empathy where I can go ahead and listen and not so much think about how this is affecting me, but how it's affecting others. And, and again, putting yourself in, 
you know, your own, you know, the shoes of someone else. And it's, again, this is all stuff we learn or we're supposed to learn as kids, but we kind of forget as we move through the life and move through the world, especially in a killer be killed kind of environment like B2B sales, where it's kind of almost trained out of us to be empathetic, to be listeners, to be people that listen more and talk less. I well, mean, which we, is, we talk which is about ironic it. because we talk about it to your point, right? But yeah, we train people out the opposite. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we train people the opposite. So, so, so that's, so that's the first part. The first part is understanding that, that your people are going through this. The second is to understand that so are your customers and your suppliers and everyone else. I mean, I kind of, you know, I kind of joked in another post, but it wasn't a joke when the Capitol riots happened on January 6th. I said, you know, listen, this is the day where hopefully you train your salespeople, you know, not to pick up the phone. And, you know, someone says they're, you know, and say, hey, how's it going today, Andy? Oh, it's well, I'm a little bit worried about what's going on in Washington. Well, you know what else is worrying? Paying too much for car insurance. You know, that kind of thing that we listen to right. all the time or that, you know, that that kind of stuff. You know, it's time to pull back on that. It's time to really understand um, what's, you know, what's going on. And, um, you know, so not only have I not managed people, you know, with four once in a lifetime type of things going on, but I haven't, I haven't tried to, you know, sell a widget to anybody during that time. I haven't tried to keep a business going. Cause again, one of the number one things that I have to think of as a sales leader or a leader within an organization is my main job is to keep the business running, is to keep people employed, um, is to keep people, is to keep paychecks coming in, is to keep, uh, you know, car payments being paid and that mm -hmm. type of thing. That's mm -hmm. a, that's a, and, and that's sometimes we forget that we forget some of the responsibility we have as business leaders. I mean, these people have invested their time, effort, and energy with us and they carry, especially in sales, they carry a number, they got a quota, they got all this other stuff that they're responsible for. Well, and it's just not, you know, it just not sales though, that you have to keep the right. paychecks coming for it's everybody in the organization. Ex depends, exactly. Depends everybody, on sales. I, Depends on sales well, to keep their paychecks coming see, in. How many times have we heard that in rah-rah sales meetings? No, nothing starts without a sale or, you know, with the people in support, you know, we're the reasons where they get their paychecks and everything else. Well, we, we, we like to say that, but again, sometimes we, we say it just, just for our own kind of fist pump and rah-rah. And it's like, well, listen, this is, this is real. The developers that work on my software that, that we sell, uh, 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 we're responsible for them, you know, keeping, you know, staying employed. It's like, the, the, it's like the people that, you know, Janice in accounting that handles, you know, sending out the commission checks, you know, she, you know, her job is dependent upon revenue coming in. So, so, so it's not just, it's not just a numbers game and it's not just, it's not just a regular, like I said, it's, it's, if it, there's a, we've all lived through recessions, We've all worked through other things, but having everything happen all at once, I think has really shown the, it's illuminated the cracks uh, and the chasms that right. we have in both our process, the way we manage process and the way we manage people. What, and you go on to talk, cause I want to sort of expand on that a little bit is, is mm -hmm. you say, you know, how do you. First of all, you're saying uh, you're struggling with the old hustle, grind, work harder than anyone else sort of ethos when all these events yeah. are happening. And yeah, what what are the in your mind? What are the consequences to an organization of trying to ignore everything that's happening on the outside? Because it seems like there's this real determination 
in the sales world to sort of try to shut all that out. As if, and right. you know, last week I had a guest on the show, uh, Christine Legorio Chafkin, who's senior mm-hmm. writer at Inc. Magazine, right? Who had written quite eloquently about you know businesses' response to the events of January sixth, right. and what the appropriate role of business was in driving societal change, and and. Yeah, I have to admit, I was, I was first of all, it was a fascinating conversation to hear her perspective, but, but yeah, and you and I sort of talked about this once before online, is, is the engagement, though, with that, that content from the sales world after we posted this episode was disappointingly low. And it's like people, wow, well, we don't want to touch these topics, but these are at the core of, of what's happening in this country, and and affect the stability of the economy that enable us to sell, to enable us to have paychecks and so on. How can we ignore yeah. it? We can't. And you asked that you started the question with, you know, what, you know, you know, what do businesses face if they don't recognize this? And, you know, I'll use one word annihilation. I mean, I, I do think that it is, it has fundamentally changed. L- listen, things have been changing for a while. I mean, I, I, I definitely listened to that podcast with that writer from Inc. I also listened to one you did a couple of, uh, I think months ago now with, uh, with a guy by the name of Sahil. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's, uh, uh, fantastic. I mean that right there. I mean, if you're not listening, if you're listening to this podcast, listen to that one, that's a masterclass in what's, in what's going on and what's wrong. You guys, you know, understanding what's wrong with sales and, you know, in that specifically within, you know, the American sales ethos as, you know, as we address it is this idea that you can separate yourself from everything else going on and concentrate on selling the customer, concentrate on moving the deal forward, concentrate on closing them. And as you know, and as Sahil knows, you know, from, you know, from, you know, from what he's talked about, and I've known him for a couple of years is from that, you know, you know, you know, you know, from that idea is that, 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 that has already been a dying proposition a failing proposition for a great many organizations and a great many people that that the that the buyer is no longer interested in having that level of relationship why is the buyer flocked to a digital process because he or she doesn't want to deal with this deal with this ethos deal with this way of doing business why has the buyer flocked to self service because they don't want to deal with this anymore. They don't, they don't have to anymore. Technology has changed. So the problem is twofold. The problem is, is that this was already happening and it was already naturally progressing at, you know, some, you know, you know, some sort of, you know, let's call it a Darwinian rate, you know, regular evolution. And then here comes, you know, you know, a couple of comets, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, event changers. And all of a sudden now it, it increases at a Malthusian rate. It's exponentially more important for people to get what's going on and, and, and get what's being addressed. Um, I wrote uh, an article a couple years ago and it was really, you know, it was a funny article, but I wrote about how everybody was talking about managing a remote sales team. And I don't know, this is maybe 2016, 2017, I wrote it. Mm-hmm. And I said, what we, what we really have to think about is, is, is how we sell to a remote customer. And I said, because, because the, because the, you know, when I cut my teeth at Xerox, you know, we used to, you know, pick up the phone. We used to get an appointment, used to drive over there. They used to give us coffee, have a conference room, 
and we'd have either the slide deck or the presentation and we go through the thing. So there was a pretty high barrier of entry to actually get a meeting. And so someone had to be really interested for them to give you an hour of mm-hmm. their time. Now, electronically, the barrier of entry, the internet has made the barrier of entry so low for a customer that even when they were in the office, just getting a, a web conference or getting a Zoom call running didn't mean they were interested. It just meant that you know they had some time to kill and time to burn. Now you put that same person and all of a sudden they're not working uh, you know, in downtown San Francisco, uh, they're working from their kitchen table and they've got, you know, two kids in e-learning. They've got their spouse who's also on a team's meeting. They've got a couple of dogs and they've got the UPS guy, you know, ringing the doorbell and all hell is breaking loose. How, how are you going to go through and convince someone to listen to you into your old tired, you know, salesy sales pitch about how things are going on? You're not. You're not, but the, but, but, but the, but the sheer fact is that, is that we think that all of these things that are outside, you know, the realm of, of what we're intending to do, which is sell you a thing, sell you a widget doesn't matter. And it's really, it's almost the only things that matter. It's the understanding how many web conferences have, has everybody listened to this started within the last year with the ubiquitous, well, just want to let you know, I've got, you know, uh, a couple of dogs. They may be Mm -hmm. barking. I apologize in advance for kids, you know, running in and everything. That is, that's the new normal. We have, we have meetings right now where, you know, cats are jumping in front of the screen and kids are screaming in the background and we don't even, we don't listen anymore. We, it's, it's, we block it out because we need to move forward and, and, you know, that's the new normal. That's the normal we live in. Well, how can you take a prepackaged, you know, you know, push kind of sales process that was developed in the old Xerox IBM days and move it into the new normal that we're living in from a customer that doesn't want to talk to you, that's in a situation that is already high stress and who is already got 14 or 15 different screens open and, you know, a spouse yelling at them, wondering when they're going to let the dog out. You know, how are they going to be there sitting and listen for your 30 minute pitch? Well, they're not. (laughs) They're not. They're not. I mean, there's there's a lot to break down that, which is is all good mm-hmm. because you know there is this 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 idea that that somehow buyers these days are less interested in talking to salespeople, and you talk about self service mm-hmm. options and so on. The fact is, I want to remind people is that customers have yeah. never wanted to talk to a salesperson <laughs> for this very well, reason that you talk about is that people do. Oh, go on. Is that you know the reason we have these stereotypical you know perceptions of sellers in general is you know it's the same behavior that's gone back a hundred years or more right it's yep. it's uh, lead with the pitch and and despite as I like to say this veneer of technology we've laid on top of the selling process it's fundamentally the same thing that's been going on forever yep. um, now though we've enabled the buyers to have the mm-hmm. ability to do more self service and so on so where they before, really, at one point, had no choice but talk to sellers in order to get information. Obviously, now they don't. So, to your point, is it how do you approach that type of customer mm-hmm. in the situation you described, where beyond you know, this work from home environment, school from home environment, two spouses working, uh, hugely busy? Is, is yeah? How do you how do you approach them in order to capture their attention? Right, you're just trying to get a slice of their attention. Right, and 
yeah, doing it the way that's been done. You said the push process, the pitch oriented. Yeah, it's not effective. And that the irony is, is that we're in a point in time where it's never been easier to establish some sort of common ground with mm-hmm. your prospect because we're all going through these things. And so if you can't exactly. find a way to connect with somebody on that basis to initiate a conversation, you've got bigger issues. Yeah. You're I mean, you're exactly right. You ask, you know, why 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 do people not like talking to salespeople? Well, people in general don't like talking to boring people or people that they don't feel that are listening to them or people that they don't feel that are interested in what they have to say. Well, that's um, that's the key you know, one right there. Is, is the way you make yourself interesting is to be yeah. interested in someone else. Exactly. It's it's the case in point. How many sales pros do you know? I can, you know, that that they watch the Wolf of Wall Street and they think Leonardo DiCaprio is the good guy. <laughs> He's the bad guy. He's the well, criminal. He's right. I, mean, I mean the only good guy in the whole movie is the FBI guy. I mean everybody else is a is a is a is a drop, you know, should be in prison. But, but yet look, we look at that and we look at Matthew McConaughey beating his chest at the at the dinner table, and that's what we want to emulate. That's what we look at as far as that's a sales professional. That's a that's someone, that's a closer, that's someone who knows how to get it done. Well, but that's and, the, and it's <laughs> but the fact is that <laughs> that yeah, they're still and you, I see it constantly on LinkedIn in comments, you mm-hmm. know, Jordan Belfort acolytes that are out there that think this yep. is still the way to do it, which I guarantee there's probably no woman sales professional that's ever looked at that and said, yeah, that's who I want to yeah. be. So, yep. you know, it's it's playing to a very narrow audience. I mean, it's just, yeah, that, that part, and this is, I think, yeah, you're really right. I think you brought that up earlier, is... is Here's an opportunity for change, and mm-hmm. I don't see certainly, let's say, in the SaaS world, I don't see people embracing that opportunity to change. Well, well, let's look at how they built the SaaS world, though. And you've talked this before, Sahil. You've talked about it before. You've talked about it with others on your podcast. Is the fact is what did they build in the SaaS world? They built a world in which the first person that talks to a or reaches out to a potential prospect is the lowest paid lowest knowledge person in the entire organization. Mm-hmm. And the, and and so if you're selling ERP systems, you're selling CRMs, this initial person barely knows how to spell those ac- those products, right? Those acronyms. Sure. They 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 they, they don't new. even know they what they They don't know business for. yet. They're just at the beginning of their career, correct? Not They're personal, just not a personal well, failing. It's just who they are. No, and it's not a personal feeling, but the but the challenge for me is why, and I've asked this for years, and now it's even becoming more apparent to me, why is the first individual or the first time you touch an actual prospect, why is it your 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 lowest paid, lowest information person? Because the customer is the act is the antithesis of that today. There has never been a time, and technology has done this, there has never been a time when buyers, when people that have control of either OPEX or CAPEX mm-hmm. budgets, that they have the ability to have as much information as they possibly can. They are experts, or they are at least subject matter experts in the thing that they're looking to purchase, in the service or the product that they're looking to purchase. I can right now, you can name a technology, and in a half an hour, I can go online and I can get as much knowledge, and if I'm able to consume it, if I'm able to process it, 
I can be more knowledgeable in whatever widget I'm looking to buy than 90% of the first, first touch sales uh, reps or SDRs, BDRs that are out there that are going to be working with me. So, so, so firstly, why do we build it that way? And, and I'm speaking as someone, you know, that in my last couple of positions I have invested in and I have figured out that the people that touch my customers first, they have to be the most knowledgeable. They mm -hmm. have to be highly paid. They have to be, we have to kind of re not reverse, but kind of re recreate that model where the first person that reaches out and talks to a prospect of mine is not someone that barely knows the technology or barely knows what's going on. Now that's a completely different model than what we're used to in the SaaS world. So of course it's, it's, we're at this, at this juncture, like we're at this kind of fork in the wood in, in, in the road. Do we continue on with the machine we've built um, for the road that we've already been over? Or do we build something else for what lies ahead? That's kind of where many organizations and many uh, businesses and many salespeople themselves are, are, are at that crossroads. Because, well, I, because go on. Well, I think that's exactly true. I mean, I, my conversations with salespeople is, mm -hmm. yeah, I see a group that is increasingly frustrated by, yep. by that machine uh, that mm -hmm. feel uh, increasing lack of autonomy in their work. Uh, they feel they're sort of subject to <laughs> sort of playing on this, you know, increasingly popular term about surveillance capitalism, that's sort of a surveillance-based mm -hmm. environment. And, um, yeah, just feeling incredibly frustrated about possibility for growth, um, possibility for, you know, succeeding on, in a way that's congruent with who they are as individuals. Mm-hmm. Well, the well, the whole thing is, and 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 the problem is, is that the machine. It's like a, it 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 like eats itself. It's like they're frustrated, you know, in this machine and in this process. But the problem is, is the guys, and they're mostly guys. I mean, I'm hitting on something you said earlier. Uh, they're mostly guys. They're mostly you know guys that with a little snow on the roof that are that are that are that are at the controls of these machines. They grew up in a world that doesn't exist anymore. There is. I cannot, with a straight face, tell a 25-year-old SDR to pick up the phone, and that is going to increase your number of appointments that you're setting. I can't say it with a straight face, because because the challenge is is there are so many other variables going on there. There's mm -hmm. so many truths going on there that me simply just you know giving that kind of more activity means more opportunity kind of spiel just falls flat on its face. The problem is, is most of the people saying that haven't picked up a phone in a long time, or they haven't kind of understood exactly that the customer is younger, more digitally native, more, more capable of finding out the majority of this information themselves. So, so what then does this, you know, what then does this person, this 25 year old person who's starting out in business, where should they go? Well, in my organizations and the organizations I think that are going to be good, uh, moving forward, I think they go into the more of the back end. They go into customer success. They learn about customers and process from from you know implementing the solution that they purchased, of helping with customer support, of managing like being like a concierge of process and and, and helping the customer. And then once they get, it's kind of like a reverse you know a mm -hmm. reverse process. 
you know, rather than, you know, starting, uh, you know, you know, you know, starting at uh, starting with, you know, talking to net new customers up front, they deal with existing and renewal customers and all that other stuff. And they learn who their customer is, why right. they're a customer, what their thoughts, needs, wishes, feelings are. And then if they want to in their career, then they can matriculate into more of the sales positions or the sales, the sales kind of um uh, uh, sales kind of position, whether it be demand gen or whether it be actual account management, where they can actually affect um, change within the organization because now they're knowledgeable and now they know. Um, and yeah, that's a, and that's a hard and that's a hard and that's a hard model for a lot of organizations to kind of come to terms with. Well, it's entirely too irrational is one reason why. I mean, heaven forbid that we had actually train people in the business that they're entering. Um, and I think I think that approach that you describe makes a lot of sense, right? Is is you know if you're young and you're new and again you don't know anything about business, you shouldn't be expected to know because you just got out of college or wherever. What's the best way? To your point, that we can train you about business, how people are using our products, you know, the value they're getting from why they purchased us versus someone else is exactly right. Is is it seems like start people in CS. And mm-hmm. when they learn to make calls, there's much less at stake initially because you're talking to somebody already has purchased. Well, and and they and they uh, but they just don't learn. I mean, let's talk about what we're at the very beginning. What we were talking about. They also learn the um, uh, about the customer as people and about the customer's right. entities within their own organization. They learn what problem they're not only what problem their uh, software or their product or widget, whatever else is solving for the customer, but they understand the problems of business, the problems of customers, the problems. Every customer I have has has a supervisor, boss, or board that they report to, that they have to carry that stuff on. Every one of them has a family, you know, commitments and other issues going on. And, 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 and when you're exposed to that and when you stay curious and you stay interested in learning that. I mean, kids, you know, ki- call them kids, they're, they're adults, but kids coming out of college are at the point where they're going to be able to go ahead and suck up as much information and as much experience as possible. Why put them in the front of the process when they can learn so much more on the back end? When they can learn exactly, you know, it, you know, what's, you know, what's going on. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the difference between you know, when you, when you hire someone in a factory, you know, do you want them starting as a sweeper or do you want them starting in shipping and receiving or accounting or something else like that, interning there in order to really kind of understand the business? And I'm not equating prospecting with sweeping and don't, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I, what, what I am, what, what I am equating it with is, is, is the, it's kind of funny. It's like, uh, again, I keep on going to that podcast that you had with, uh, Sahil. It's like that whole, that whole concept of, of, you know, we were five years ago, we were, we, we were all concerned about, oh boy, salespeople only stay in a position, entry-level salespeople only stay in a position 18 months or 12 months before they mm-hmm. move on. Well, how about VPs of sales now? How about months. CROs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now, well, no, not been seen, but now I'm seeing a lot more articles about it because now it's a problem because, <laughs> because it affects, it, because it affects people in the corner office, not people in the bullpen. Right. And it's like, so it's the kind of like the understanding is, is that what do we do? How do we go ahead and figure our way out of this? And I really do think leading 
with empathy, leading with understanding. And, and again, I, I don't, you know, I am in the Pacific Northwest. I do have long hair. I'm not trying to be all crunchy granola here, but kind of understanding the process. It, sales has always been understanding the reasons and understanding your customer why why people buy why people buy a certain thing what 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 is their reasoning for doing it and for uh for a long time uh uh we 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 looked at like emotional reasons and we kind of tried to cobble it into business process reasons that we could figure out when, when really, when we get down to it, it is everything we buy is an emotional buy. Everything. It doesn't matter if it's a house, if it's a car, it's something on Amazon, it's a new ERP system, whatever it is, it's, it, that's where it ends. It's the emotion. It's how do I feel about this? You can look at a spreadsheet for six hours. You can take a look at pros and cons. At the end of the day, you are making a decision and that decision you have to uh, uh, deal with. And the fact of the matter is that decision is going to be made outside the realm of the conference room or the Zoom meeting that you're with the customer. That meeting, that decision is going to be made, you know, in private without anybody talking to the salesperson. So, so the aspect is, is how, if you don't understand that everything is an emotional sale and everything has to deal with the entirety of the person and the decision they're making, um, you're, you're. I mean, you're. I mean, you're just kind of. You're just kind of treading water. You're trying to throw darts at a board while being blindfolded. And you know, maybe you'll hit. Maybe you won't. Well, but, but that's the way sales goes. Is, I mean, yeah, that's the way it's being practiced these days. Is yes. yeah, let's let's put as much crap into the top of the funnel as we can and pay minimal attention to it as it flows through. And we know we'll close a certain percentage if we do that. And mm -hmm. the result is, is we don't invest in the why that you talked about in terms of helping people mm -hmm. understand why people do things. It was just a post on LinkedIn last week, some thought leader type saying, millennials don't want to know about the why, they just need the how-to. And I'm like, really? <laughs> that's, that's so wrong. So wrong. And... Uh, yeah, remind well, me it's the, funny. It's remind, like remind you, me you of this, the saying from Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, you know, yeah, the man, the man who knows how will always have a job. The man who knows also knows why will always be his boss. Yeah. Well, and then, and I believe it was Sinclair who said as well, I think Sinclair said, you know, uh, 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 what did he say? He said the, um, uh, uh, the ability of someone to understand something is directly proportional to, to the salary they get for not understanding it. Right. It's like something <laughs> to that effect. It's like, that there's a, that there's a, that there's, that there's a lot of people out, out there in the sales B2B world that make hay, um, not having to, you know, because they, because they're pretending not to understand the reality of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and they and they try to package, you know, these types of things, and, and whether it be a product or a training or something else like that. But it's like this is, you know, this is how, uh, you know, this is how you should do it because this is this is what I've known, you know, for years and years and years. And and the and the challenge is 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 and, and again, I I began my first foray in sales enablement and being you know being on LinkedIn and that with a with an article I wrote like I don't know 2015 2014 something where I said. As a sales manager, how valuable is the experience you have to the modern sales force, right? Is it is is the fact that you closed that deal in 1996 and you got the guy to sign on the line, which is dotted, is that even relevant to the in the 2000s? Does that even really mean anything to people that that are that are working right now? 
And so I think it I, I, I think it has to deal with there needs to be a change. I think there needs to be a change in leadership. I think there needs to be a change in not only the way leadership thinks, but potentially also the people within leadership of organizations. I think that uh, I think that the the fault, you know, dear Brutus, you know, lies lies in ourselves, not the stars. I I, I think it has to deal with the 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 fact that we we want to continue selling the way we like to sell. We don't want to move into the way our customers like to buy. Right. And I think that that but there's is a point. There's the, a point there, though, Derek, which is the mm-hmm. and I'll sort of be a little contrarian is yeah. is because I don't know if you were speaking rhetorically about you know yeah. is experience gained in the '90s still valuable to anybody today? Yeah, uh, I would say yeah because mm-hmm. yeah I think there was. I think we have several problems that take place, you know, primarily in the tech sales world, but it's expanded yes. beyond that now. That, that, yeah, fundamentally, companies are playing the odds. Yes, as I talked yes. about before, and I would say that if people actually went through the experience of actually selling before, then yes. that's always valuable experience. And well, and that's. But what do the great sellers know? But what do the Zig Ziglers and what do the great? I mean, what do the great sellers know? They know it's personal. They know exactly. it's emotional. They know it has to deal with, you know, whether you're selling a shoe or a Bueller brush or an ERP package. And I sold shoes, um, by the way. It, well, it, well, listen, I listen. I sold. I telemarketed magazines after high school. In high school, after school, I grew up in Detroit. So if you can sell U.S. News and World Report to an auto worker who's trying to finish his meatloaf during dinner time, if you can close that sale, you can close just about anything. <laughs> and um, and, and but 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 the but the fact is is that is that even then it was the listening it was the understanding it was you know what I was selling then with magazine subscriptions I was selling information I was selling the opportunity to be informed I was selling the ability to be a good citizen um, and even though I didn't know it at the time because I was just a dumb kid uh, you know I was able to go ahead and learn that. And as I move forward in my career and as I move forward, I always I always tried to keep that kind of understanding. And so I do think that that you are right, that what we have lost in kind of this SaaS modeled um, marketplace is is that personal kind of connection is the ability to understand people as people. Right. I mean, you said you give me a bunch of VC money and you tell me to start a sales organization for a product. The recent college grads I'm going to be looking for are are psychology majors. They're not they're 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 not business majors. They're not economics majors. I want to know people. I want to have people in my organization that know what makes people, or at least kind of are are curious as to what makes people think or what makes people make decisions or what drives or motivates people. And see, and here's where we get back to year zero. We've all seen Maslow's kind of triangle, right? We've all seen hierarchy what motivates needs, yes. people. Yeah, the hierarchy of needs. Year zero put us all on that first tier, baby. I mean, that was primarily, we have all been in the United States for the most part, especially in the B2B world and working for these companies. We've all been higher up on that scale of needs. We wanted, uh, you know, you know, we, you know we, we had, we, yeah, we wanted fulfillment. We had all our basic needs met. Now, all of a sudden, you throw in Corona, you throw in, you know, January 6th, you throw in, you know, you know, racial strife, all this other thing like that. Our needs start going way, way down. And we start getting on that first tier of the pyramid. Am I going to keep my job? You know, Personal is the government going to? Yes. Yeah. Are we? Yeah. Are, 
are we still safe? Is the government going to be here tomorrow? Those are the type of questions that Americans for a long time have not had to ask. Many Americans haven't had to ask for a while. And it's illuminated the, 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 the like I said, the cracks in the society that we have uh, been able to go ahead and ignore right. for a great period of time. So, so when we get back to that point and you say, well, how do you construct something in the year zero and beyond to go ahead and communicate uh, at, to the customer is to understanding that's where we are on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're great, all there. Great perspective. We're all we're all worried about that base security now, and we have hmm. to understand we're all human animals. And if you can speak to that, and if you can talk to that, and I, listen, I've had customers on phone calls where first 15 minutes, we've just talked about uh, what's going on. And again, people are worried about wow. the minefield or like they're worried about, well, no, it's the what common if I ground. Talk I talked about it. It's never been it's, easier to establish the common ground. Right. It's, it's, and, and it's like, you can't, you can't, you know, you can't not, you know, regardless of where one falls on a political spectrum or whatnot, there are certain, uh, there are certain things, there are things going on right now that we all have to deal with. And for the most part, the, you know, talking about, or at least comprehending or understanding the real, uh, experience people are having, I, I, and, and at the very most basic dealing with, right. It, Things like Zooms and video conferences and understanding that, uh, you know, I, I start out when uh, we when we have meetings with customers and I'm on the Teams or I'm on the Zoom or or, uh, you know, the Ring Central or whatever else we're utilizing, whatever, uh, whatever package we're utilizing. Um, I start out the fact with, you know, I say, hey, my name is Derek. You know, I'm the chief cook and bottle washer over here. Uh, just want to get you. Nobody needs to apologize about any interruption that they're going to have in this meeting. And I say going to have because I know it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to worry about, you know, we don't have to be yelling at our kids to quiet down or, you know, go on mute because the dog's barking because the UPS guy's there. It's like we understand that's going to happen. And by yeah. starting that, just starting those meetings with that, first off, it's, you know, it's a laugh line and it's always great to start out with a joke and people kind of laugh, but it's an, but it's a release. It's a human release because people are all, they've been locked up for a year, a lot of them. They've been sitting at their kitchen table or in their office doing all these Zoom meetings. These things are completely the antithesis of the reason why they got into business before or what, you know, what they kind of experienced. Right. And, and just by talking about it, just by starting the meeting out with it, it's just a release that you can almost hear the exhale from people that are on the meeting like, okay, I feel more comfortable. I feel more well, comfortable in this environment. Yeah, and what you've done is just exercised a basic bit of humanity. And yes. you know, in this day, uh, more than ever, that is hugely important. And it costs you nothing to be human. And this is a lesson, I think, for sellers is that, yeah, you may be forced or feel in your mind you're sort of forced to follow this process, have to follow the script. Yeah, don't. Right? Do do mm -hmm. what comes natural to you as a human. You know, be empathetic, have some care for someone else. There's gonna be plenty of time for business. People want to talk about this shared experience or going through. Uh, it's not like talking about the weather. Um, it's something that to your point is, you know, people have this basic level of concern about safety and security that they've never really had to deal with in their lifetimes. And it's a great place to start engaging. So, I mean, it really is. Yes. 
Oh, last comment, because then we got to wrap up, because we're running out of time here. I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. No, I mean my last comment, and the only the and and the only kind of and the and the only kind of addition I'd put on there would be like as as well. You have to stay curious about the human experience. Yep. I think if if, if 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 you're if you're in sales and you're not curious about the human experience, go into something else. Because <laughs> yeah. moving forward, that's really kind of all it is. All it is is kind of understanding that and understanding and 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 being curious and asking questions and listening to the answers. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Well, Derek, fun as always to talk with you. And we're yes. sure we won't wait as many years between appearances on the show. <laughs> uh, we'll have you back. And uh, for people who want to find out more about you, connect with you, how can they do that? Uh, they can, you know, obviously I'm on, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my first name and uh, last name is uh, there spelled for everybody. I'm also on Twitter. You can follow me at real sales advice. Uh, so, uh, and then I'm also, I also have a, a, a website, real And if you're, you know, you're interested in, in, uh, in, uh, what I'm doing or the companies that, uh, that I'm working with just, uh, it's all there on, uh, LinkedIn for your, uh, amusement. <laughs> all right. Well, Derek, a pleasure and look forward to doing it again. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Derek Wazinski, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd appreciate it. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>